Amen. Lord, you are the reason that we live and move and breathe and have our being. And Lord, without you, our life would be meaningless and hopeless and helpless. Lord, I pray as we go to your word tonight that, Lord, we'd be encouraged and strengthened in our walk. We'd be challenged, Lord, to, again, just walk after you with our whole heart, to live lives of purity set apart unto you. We thank you that you do are a God of detail who cares about all things. We just thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, we just come before you desperate for you. May you move in a mighty way. May you be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 22. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Again, if you got here late and you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because you're going to need one. And feel free to take it home with you always as our gift to you. Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. Moses, the final exhortation to the children of Israel as they're about to enter into the land of promise. We're going to continue to look at the divine instructions for this next generation as they're about to, again, go into a land that does not have any laws. Uh, we, you know, why is he reminding them of everything? Why is he, you know, Deuteronomy means second giving or second law. Why is he telling them again? Because the previous generation had failed. This is the next generation. They're being encouraged and equipped to go in. But remember, they're going into a land filled with idol worship, a land filled with giants, a land filled with enemies, and a land without laws. So as they go into the land, they're going to need to bring the law with them. They're going to need to bring the Holy Spirit, of course, the, the God moving before them, God's hand upon them. And without that, they'd be defeated in a mighty way. And so he began the first ten chapters reminding them of the failures of the past generation so they would not repeat them. And then, you know, because of their faithlessness, he reminded them how an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march. And so the same is true for us. If we walk in disobedience to God, the most simple thing that God wants to do in our life that could take a day or two could end up taking 10 years. Not because God's not faithful, but because we're not. Amen. Because we won't just say, okay, Lord, take my life completely. Lord, it all belongs to you. And so he then begins to prepare them. Okay, you've seen what happened to the previous generation. You saw the rebellion. You saw how they were not able to enter into the land of promise. You saw when they were told to go in, they said, we're not going because the giants are too big. And then you get to chapter 11 onward. And he begins to tell them, hey, if you'll walk in obedience, God will bless you. He then tells them there's only one true worship when you get into the land. You're going to be surrounded by idols all around you, but remember... Only Yahweh is God. Only the true and living God. Only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The only God, the only true and living God. So these other gods around you, there's only one true worship. Remember that. Don't be distracted, he would tell them. And then he talked to them about what God thought about other religions. If you remember, those who would entice them away to other false gods, they were stoned to death. We're going to see some more of that tonight. Then he talked about how they were to live every aspect of their life for God. That they were to be constantly reminded of what God has done for them. You know what, if you're moping, you forgot what God did for you. Amen? Amen? Walking around, oh man, your life is a drag, right? You know what, what did Jesus Christ do for you? He came and suffered and died that you might have eternal life and you're going to heaven. Amen? And too often we walk around playing ain't it awful because we forgot what God's done for us. And he said, you know what, you need to remember all that God has done for you. He delivered you guys out of bondage in Egypt. He, he parted the Red Sea for you. He dropped food out of the sky. You know, he's defeating your enemies. Remember what God has done for you. Don't forget. 
He also told them to have a heavenly focus. He told them the true source of wisdom was to be in the Word every single day. He then talked to them about building cities of refuge, a place where people could run for safety. Again, a picture of Christ who was our refuge. The place that we can run, though guilty, a place where we can find safety. He then talked about having a heart for battle in chapter 20. Remember we talked about having a proper heart, faith, and focus. Remember he told them, they're getting ready to go fight an enemy much larger than them, but he turned to them and said, hey... If your house isn't in order, go home. If your profession's not been done, you, you, know, you haven't reaped the harvest in the vineyard, go home. If you're newlywed and you haven't ministered to your wife, you're betrothed and you haven't actually been married yet, go home. Because he didn't want people who are divided in the battle. And that was an exhortation to us that our homes need to be in order. We need to be providing for our family in a faithful way. And we need to be ministering to our wife before we consider doing anything else. Now that should not be a cop-out. And that should not be a reason not to do anything. Amen? Too often people say that, well, I'm, I'm concentrating on my first ministry. Well, I want to call your wife in and ask her about that, right? That's why that's really true, if you're just coughing out, all right? But again, if you're a newlywed, you know, concentrate on your marriage. Do those things. But at the same time, I'd encourage you to do ministry together as time goes on. And then last week, we saw a recipe for a godly home. He said, cleanse your home of ungodliness. Get married for the right reason. You guys remember that last week? Get married for the right reason. He said, don't get married when you're in heat. You go into battle and drag out the prettiest girl and say, she's mine. We're going to talk about more of that tonight. Remember he said, take her home, clip her fingernails, shave her head, and put her in sackcloth, and let her, let her wail for a month. And if you still want her, then you can marry her. Right? Remember he told them, don't be in heat. Right? Make sure. Be still. Wait on the Lord. Make sure. And you know what? That's great counsel for us today. And then he told them to love their children enough to discipline them. Children that are not disciplined is not a sign of love. It's a sign of a lack of love. Amen? Amen. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. Does God know better than we do? Absolutely. You know what? I I have to confess to you. I look back and my dad and mom should have disciplined me more. I don't know about you guys. You know, at the time, I thought they disciplined me way too much. But now I look back and think, you know, they probably could have got that strap out a few more times, right? So now in tonight's chapter, we're going to continue to see that God does indeed care about every detail of life. And I love this. I love that God cares about every detail of my life. That absolutely blows me away. Not a, as we're going to see tonight, not a sparrow falls from the sky without him knowing it. Every single little tiny thing in your life that you think is insignificant, God does not. And God desires that we would, in every aspect of our life, in every minor detail of our life, that we would give it to him, that we would glorify him through it. And so we're going to see tonight that God cares about every detail. That being His children should have an impact on our character in every aspect of our lives. On the areas of life that we might see as insignificant. Things that we don't think are all that important. But as they're going into the land of promise and He's giving them the law into this land of lawlessness, He's going to talk about some things you would think, why is that in the Bible? But I love that it is because it tells me He cares about every detail. And that blesses me to know. You know, I've heard people say, I told you this story before, I was in Russia and this priest in Russia said, you Christians are all the same. Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox priest said, you Christians are all the same. You think God's nearby. God's far away. We're a, we're a little tiny speck and God doesn't have time for us. And the, my interpreter, a 90-year-old lady said to him, sir, do you read the Bible? I love it. And he's, well, yeah, I read the Bible. He says, what is one of God's names in the Bible? It's Abba Father. Abba Father is Daddy, and Daddy is never far away. Amen? Daddy is someone who's nearby, whose lap you can crawl into. And I'm glad that God cares about every detail, and that He is Abba Father. And he, that things that hurt us hurt Him. Things that break our heart break His heart. When we weep, He weeps with us. When we rejoice, He rejoices with us. And He cares about every detail of our lives. What a great and awesome God we serve. 
about having compassion toward our neighbors, about even having tenderness toward animals. We're going to see that in the text tonight. And as we see that there, the things in, that there are those things in our eyes that are more significant, those things yet come under great attack. And God cares about them as well, about being separated from the world, and about living lives of personal purity. People don't like to hear about that. Are you talking about holiness? I'm not coming. Right? But you know what? Are we not to live holy lives? We're not saved by our works, but our, our salvation should produce great works. Amen? That God might be glorified through them. And we should be different. And as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And we should be different than the world. And the way we look at everything should change. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. That God cares about the details. And He desires that we have godly character in every aspect of life. And we're going to look at three areas tonight. In the area of compassion and tenderness. A kind and loving heart. Every Christian should have a kind and loving heart. Amen? Not an arrogant heart, not a self-righteous heart, not a condemning heart, not a finger-pointing heart, but a loving heart and a tender heart and a gracious heart. We're also going to see that He desires that we would be separated from the world. We'll look more at this on Sunday as we continue through 2 Corinthians. And then lastly, we're going to look at personal purity and the sanctity of marriage. So Deuteronomy 22, God cares about the details that we exhibit godly character in every aspect of life, beginning with compassion and tenderness, a kind and loving heart. In Leviticus 19, it says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That was even said in the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And the word for love there is a godly affection that produces action. You know, you know what? Don't tell someone you love them, show them. Amen? You can tell me all day you love me, show me. Right? I can tell my wife all day I love her, but if I never show her that I love her, I never show her kindness, I don't lay down my life for her, I don't minister to her, she's not going to believe the words coming out of my mouth. Jesus even said, you know what? It's been said to love your brothers, but I'm telling you, love your enemies. So that means we should love everybody. The boss at work that's got an attitude, love him. The neighbor that's a pain, love him. I got a neighbor across the street, he gets up at four in the morning and just revs his Harley for half an hour. Right? I mean, I'm like, okay. And the point would be, right? And he does it every day, you know, every day. And everybody else is complaining. I think, matter of fact, he has to move out because he's been so loud for so long, they're kicking him out. But, you know, I'd see him and he'd go, hey, I'm sorry about the noise in the morning. I'd say, hey, bro, don't even worry about it. God bless you. And that just blows his mind. You know what? Love those who are unlovable. That's God's heart. So first we're going to look at, again, having a tender heart when it comes to lost property. Look at verse 1. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. So your brother's ox or sheep going astray. Now back then, there were very few fences. You know, so when they had cattle and stuff, it was very easy for them to go wandering off and wander through four or five different properties and end up on your property by accident. Or you might be going down the road and here's an ox walking down the road. And back then, you got to realize they were of great value. That's how you determined your wealth is by how much cattle you had. And so you would see one. Now, what's the easiest thing to do if you see an ox walking along the side of the road and you, you, know, you see the brand on it or whatever it might be and you recognize who it belongs to? The easiest thing would be, I'm busy. I got no time to be dragging no ox back to my house and take, forget it. And what does he say in the text here? Don't hide yourself. Again, you shall not see and then hide yourself. A lack of compassion is rooted in selfishness and being self-centered. Upon seeing the needs of others, we're so self-focused 
that we don't want to be bothered by the inconvenience of reaching out to someone else. It's all about me. It's all about my schedule, about my time, about my comfort. Yeah, I'll help out if it fits into my schedule. But that's not love, is it? Love is when it doesn't fit into my schedule and I do it anyway. Love is when it's a total inconvenience to me and I do it. Because you know what? God's put it on my heart to esteem others greater than myself. That my schedule is not as important as ministering to someone else. My comfort isn't important as comforting somebody else. You know what? And too often what we do is, you know, we come to the point where we start isolating ourselves. And we don't want to, we want to hide ourselves a little bit. You know, we screen our phone calls at home. And, you know, we do it, you know what I mean? We don't even want to answer the phone. Somebody might call that needs something. Let it ring. Let me see who's on the phone, you know. You won the lottery, pick it up, right? If not, you know what? Let it go. And we start to hide ourselves. And as God's heart would be that as we are new creations in Christ, that we'd be focused on reaching out to others. True compassion and, and kindness toward others will usually cost us something. It will cost us something. It will cost us time. It will be an inconvenience. It might even be your finances or all of the above. But you know what? If we have an eternal focus, all my time, all my talents, all my finances are the Lord's, and using them to reach out to somebody in His name, there's no greater use in the world than my resources. Amen? Nothing better I can do with my time than go love on somebody in Jesus' name. There's nothing better I can do with my finances than go out and minister to somebody in Jesus' name. There's nothing better I can do with the talents God's given me than go out to, to minister to somebody in Jesus' name. And he's saying, you know what, God does care about the details, and we should have godly character, and it should change the way that we look at everything. And he says, when you see this, don't hide yourself. Don't duck out. Oh, someone's moving, they need help? Oh, get out of here quickly. They might ask us, right? We've all been guilty of that, amen? Don't ask me. I got something else. I want to just, I want to veg this afternoon. You don't understand what my week's been like, right? I'm tired. I need to go rest. You know what? We'll rest when we get to heaven, amen? Rest when we get there. There's, only, there's some things we can only do on earth. When we get to heaven, it's going to be too late to witness to people. Everybody's there is already going to be saved, amen? It's going to be too late to, to intercede in prayer for others. It's going to be too late to do some things we get to do here and now. And look what it says in verse 2. And if your brother is not near you, or you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. So again, you care for his animal until he comes. That might mean you've got to feed it and care for it and wash it and all this stuff, right? And you know what? I didn't sign up for that. Dude, he lost his animal. Let him find it himself. Why is that my problem? But again, can you imagine how different things would be in this world if just all of those who are truly born again in Christ started reaching out to the world around them in love? You know, I, I can honestly tell you there's, there's people that God has used me mowing their lawn in a greater way sometimes than anything else I've ever done for them. Somebody's sick and you go to their house and just mow their lawn and they're like, who did that? And you do it so God will be glorified, not that you will be, Amen. Just that simplistic thing of reaching out and using your time. And I'm here. He's hurting. Let me help him. Let me love him. Let me minister to him. Isn't that what Jesus would have us do? And so he says there, look, you're going to take that animal home, and you're going to take care of it. And then when he comes for it, give it back to him. This is not finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Amen? Right? Remember that? Your kid? I found it. Tough. Mine now. You didn't come long enough. I got it. Too bad for you, right? Instead, it ought to be, okay, I'll care for it. And when you come for it, I want to give it back to you. And I want to do everything I can to bless you, to minister to you, to show the love of Almighty God to you. Verse 3, he shall do the same with his donkey. 
Man, that'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Dragging a donkey home, stubborn old donkey, dragging a donkey home, taking care of it. Man, I hope that guy shows up today, right? We could take care of that donkey. Look what else it says. You shall do the same with his garment or any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found. You shall do likewise. Likewise, you must not hide yourself. And in this case, you should not avoid, you know, picking up the stuff that you find and taking it home, but also, you must not hide yourself when he comes for it. Right? Hey, man, I heard you found my, uh, you know, you just don't, hey, don't answer the door, man, I found that guy's $1,500 chainsaw, man, it's in the garage, I'm using it, it's sweet, he's coming for it, just, we're not home, okay? Shut the shades if you see him coming, right? And no, instead it should be, don't hide yourself when the opportunity comes, and don't hide yourself when the person comes to reclaim what belongs to them. You'd be right there to give it to them. Give it back to them better than the way you found it. Amen? And bless them and encourage them. These are such practical things, but you know what? I truly believe we need more of that. We need more practical Christianity being lived out now. We can't just live practical Christianity and not share our faith. We can't just have lifestyle evangelism but never share the gospel. That's not effective. Why? Because we need to live it, and then we need to share with them the hope that lies within us. Because if just being a good person would work, then the Mormons would be great for us, right? Live good lives, but you know what? There's got to be a great message behind the good life. There's got to be a reason to share with them the testimony and the transformation that has happened in my heart. So what he's telling them here, there, there are sins of commission, but there are also sins of omission. There's sins of not doing what, but of doing what is wrong, and there's also sins of not doing what is right. Do you know it's a sin to not do what is right? The Bible tells us, in James it says, He who knows to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. If we know it's right and we don't do it, it's sin not to do it. So we need to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and God cares about every detail, and He cares about us. And do you think it's a divine appointment? Can I tell you, I've been blessed by people where my car breaks down, I'm on the side of the road. Or I remember one time I, I flew home, I'd been flying like 27 hours from India, and I get home, and, we're dri- and I'm driving home, and I get a flat tire. I don't even know where I am. You know what I mean? I don't know what day it is. I'm, my hours are all messed up. And I'm out of the car on the side of the 280 freeway working on my car, and I can't find the jack. And, and this guy pulls up and gets out, and he's a mechanic, and he's got a, a professional jack in the back of his car, and he puts my car up and puts a tire, helps me with the tire. And I go to pay him, and he won't take any money, and he walks away and says, God bless you. And I went, Amen. See, that's the Lord. That's a divine appointment, amen? And that seems like a little thing, but sometimes it's such an encouragement, such a blessing. I love to keep tracks in my car, so if I do get a chance to minister to somebody, I leave them with the Word as well. And so we need to look for that. Don't hide yourself from opportunities. Man, I wish God would use me. God will use you. Just open up your eyes, amen? Start looking around for the opportunities. They're there every single day. God here condemns the sin of doing nothing. Doing nothing can be a sin. The sin of omission, not doing what is right. And praise the Lord for His grace. And praise the Lord that He continues to use us even after we've fallen short over and over again. So you must not hide yourself from either reaching out in compassion or holding back and restoring what had been found. Verse 4. Now this is more along the lines of an emergency. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his axe fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. Now this is again along the lines of what happened to me. You see your brother's car broken down the side of the road. And and you know what? Again, I know we can't always, but wouldn't it be great if more often we look to minister to those people? 
What if more often we looked and saw someone who's struggling or hurting or going through a difficult time, and instead of driving by them on our way to go do what we've got to do, that we put everything that we're doing on hold and minister to them. This is reaching out in the time of difficulty, having a, a, you know, a heavy-laden donkey wouldn't be easy to pick up. Imagine you're walking by and a guy's over there and his donkey's on its side and it's making noise and kicking its feet and got a big old thing on its back, you know. Walk by, good luck with that. I hope that works out for you, you know what I mean? And too often, you know, we'll do that. You know, somebody be on the side of the road, man, hey, that's a bummer. Well, okay, well, take care of it. You know, we just keep going. But again, these are such practical things. But for the animal's sake and the owner's sake, the men would get together and turn this emergency into an opportunity to practice brotherly love. They would see an, an emergency, they would see a, a difficulty as an opportunity for ministry. You know what, I'm going to go love on that person. I'm going to go minister to that person. I'm going to reach out to that person. Matter of fact, along those lines, I don't know exactly when we're going to be implementing it, but we're going to be putting together a new helps ministry. And what we're going to be doing, basically, is we're going to get emails from people, and when somebody in our church is going through a struggle, then we're just going to email everybody in the church that's in the list and just say, hey, if you can help, help, great. No pressure to do it, but you'll know that it's available. Hey, this person needs this. This person, maybe you'll have the talent to go help them. And you know what? That's the way the body of Christ ought to be, amen? Because you may have some ability that someone else doesn't have, and they may have an ability you don't have, and they can minister to you, and then you can minister to them. And that's going to be a blessing to the entire body. And so I just want to encourage you to be praying about how God might have you be involved in that. So some see as emergencies as an opportunity to make big money, right? A bunch of trees fall down, the electricity's out, and they got a chainsaw, and they're out charging people quintuple time. Got them right where I want them. they got to have electricity, you know what I mean? They need water, then I'm going to just charge them five times the amount. You know what, in the midst of that is when we ought to be giving it away. Amen? That's when we ought to say, no, I'm not going to kick you while you're down. I'm going to come alongside you and minister to you. We need to see those as opportunities. May we not be preoccupied with ourselves that we miss out on God's divinely appointed opportunities for ministry. See your brother's ox or his VW or his Chevy or his Ford or his Honda in a ditch. May we stop. May that be an opportunity to exhibit godly compassion and brotherly love. Not just, and I'm not just talking about on the side of the road. I'm talking about any aspect where you see an opportunity to love on somebody. We see an opportunity to minister to somebody and bring God the glory. Now in the midst of this, these first 12 verses, or 8 verses, excuse me, that all talk about compassion, is a seemingly random verse right in the middle of this section on compassion that addresses the distinction between the sexes. Now this is something that we are dealing with today. Big time. Amen? Let's read verse 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man. Nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Is that pretty clear? I think that's pretty clear. You know what? We're not to fall into the world's trap of attempting to redefine the sexes. And you know what? I'm going to be real direct, and that'll surprise you, I'm sure. But you know what? God made men and women different, and women can't do everything men can do, and men cannot do everything women can do. I'm sick and tired of hearing that. How many men have given birth? Raise your hand. Okay, we can't do everything women can do, amen? And you hear that, well, women can do anything men can do, and men can do it. No, they no, we can't. God made us different. And praise God for that, amen? God made us different. He gave us different abilities, different talents, different callings in the home. And praise God for that. And too often, we're trying to blend it all together. You know, the word unisex came into existence in the late 60s. And they're talking about what a wonderful thing it was. And God says it's an abomination. It's an abomination. God says He made us different. 
Pagan idolatry in Canaan had blurred the distinctives between the sexes. Homosexuality and cross-dressing were a part of their religious rituals. And God's warning them, you guys are going into the land, don't you dare get involved in that. Men be men, women be women. And it's so sad because I don't know if you read even the paper today. Because we see the world today trying to do the same thing. Right on the front page of the paper today, they were talking about uh, you know, the, the Queer Youth Awards. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. And the gay agenda has permeated our TV and the movies and newspaper and made it more and more acceptable. It's more, it's more popular to be a homosexual on campus today than it is to be a Christian. It's amazing. They're having the homosexual queer youth whatever awards at Santa Cruz High in the gym, but I guarantee you if I wanted to have a Christian band down there, it would never happen. It's amazing what has happened in the world we live in. And you know what? It's so important, you know, and it just breaks my heart because I read this article in the paper today, and it's sponsored by the Santa Cruz Task Force for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Questioning, and Confused Youth. Who confused them? Who confused them? Why are they confused? Because we've stopped defining what men are and what women are, and we started blurring the line all over the place. God made man in his image. God made woman out of man, and the two of them together are complete. Man is incomplete without woman, and woman is incomplete without man. And we need one man and one woman together for a lifetime. That's God's plan for marriage, amen? Amen. And instead, what is happening is, it's let's blur the lines, and families can look any way they want, and in first grade, they're reading My Two Mommies to Our Kids, and all this garbage. And it just breaks the heart of God. And so clearly here he's telling them, they're going into a land without laws, and he says this confusion, again, is not going to come from God, because he's given us a clear understanding. It's come instead because of man's sinful rebellion against God's command, and the attempt to blur the line between the sexes. God made us for each other. He made us different from each other. And like I said, man is incomplete without woman, and woman is incomplete without man. In this verse, God condemns cross-dressing, and dressing in a way that blurs or confuses the sexes. So, We should not dress in a way that would cause somebody to think we're the sex that we're not. Now what's amazing to me is, you know, because it is perversion, it's an abomination to God, but have you ever noticed, and again, you know, when this goes on the radio, God bless it and we'll get phone calls and that's okay, all right? But how come lesbians all dress like guys and all the homosexual guys all walk around dressed like women, wearing makeup? You know why? Because man is incomplete without woman, and woman is incomplete without man, so the woman tries to be the man part of the relationship that can only be made complete by a man. And there's one of the guys that tries to be the woman portion to be complete in that relationship because the relationship is incomplete without a man and a woman. Amen? And that's exactly why it happens. They say they hate men, and they all dress like it. I don't understand that. You hate men, but why are you wearing my clothes? I don't understand. Now, I want to make it real clear. We are to hate the sin and love the sinner. And, you know, we are to love homosexuals. We are to love people, that are whatever their sin is. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. No sin is beyond salvation, amen? And we need to have a supernatural love for them all. But that doesn't mean that we approve of the behavior. And we should not approve of the behavior. Again, God's not confused. He made you exactly what you are. I just, I have a woman living inside of me. Oh, stop it. No, you don't. No, you don't, right? It's ridiculous. Where did you hear that psycho babble, right? You've been, fe- you know, poured all that stuff on. You're confused. You're, gen- you're gender c- questioning. Gender questioning? 
The doctor told you what you were the second you were born. That's it. And no more questions. Look on your birth, mail. There it is. I'm done. Questions are over, right? And sadly, people are questioning. Some have tried to use this verse. Now, I want to say this. The other extreme is some have tried to use this verse to say women shouldn't wear pants. Right? Well, that's what men wear. Men wear pants. Women shouldn't wear pants. Well, let me, make, let me clue you in on something. In the Old Testament times, everybody was wearing toga-like things, right? Weren't they all? But there were things they could do to look like a woman and things that they did to look like a man. So the point is, you know, women can wear pants and things like that, but they're not to dress in a way that, makes, that would confuse you that they're a man. And guys are not to wear things that would confuse you and make you think that they're a woman. That's the point. And so we shouldn't get overly legalistic about this. Okay? Some people will really get legalistic about it. Just remember, the world is not the standard. The Word of God is. God's Word is the standard. It's not, well, everybody's questioning and everybody's confused and now there's 25% homosexuals and that means, that means in this room 30 of you are getting... Oh, stop it. No, you're not. There's no such thing as anybody... But just make it real clear. Nobody's born gay. People practice homosexuality. That's being a born adulterer or a born fornicator or a born drug user. You choose to do it. Amen? And it's wrong and it's sin. And you know what? Praise God. We can repent of it. He can restore us back to what He called us to be. One man, one woman together for a lifetime. Amen? You guys can come down the office and protect me when this comes out on the radio. All right. Now we're back to looking at compassion. Looking at compassion again and tenderness. I mean, you talk about changing gears, right? Now look at this says. You read, if you read this verse, you'd be like, okay, great. If a bird's nest happens to be along your way, in any tree or on the ground, the young ones with, with young ones or eggs, with a mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall take you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you, that you may prolong your days. So, if you see a nest full of eggs, you can take the eggs, but don't take the bird, and it'll be, it will be well with you and prolong your days. What in the world does that mean, right? Well, again, he's sending them into a land of lawlessness. And this tells me that God cares about the details about every little aspect of life, even the birds and the trees. Amen? And what he's saying is, look, if you saw a nest and a bird and you took the bird away, what would happen to the young? They would starve. And at the same time, he's saying, look, if, you t if, if you're hungry and you take the eggs, you can eat them, that's fine. Leave the bird because then what will happen? She'll have more eggs and more young and more birds will come. And you know what? Don't, you know, rape and pillage and destroy everything to get what you can have now, but look to the future. And, you know... And, and I'll, I'm going to openly confess you guys, I'm, I've got the smallest amount of green gene in my life period, right? I am not an environmentalist in the slightest, I have to tell you that. I don't even recycle. I shoot me after church, all right? I don't recycle. Not a green gene in my body, okay? But at the same time, I do believe we should care for this planet. We don't worship it. It's not Mother Earth, amen? But we should be good stewards of it. And we shouldn't rape and pillage and destroy and, ah, it's all about me. We should be faithful because it's the Lord. it belongs to the Lord. But we don't worship it. We don't honor it. We don't esteem it. We don't kiss trees or any of that other stuff, all right? But at the same time, we're to care for it. And sometimes we go from one extreme to the other. And so he's telling them, look, make sure that you're not so self-focused that you just start wiping things out. And you know what? It's an awesome note that the Lord, the Bible says the Lord knows when even one sparrow falls from the sky. So God knows. 
He knows about every bird. He knows about every creature. He knows about every branch on every tree and every leaf. He knows everything. And I love that he cares about it. And I love that he created it. And I love he created it for our use, but at the same time, we should be faithful stewards of it. You know, it's interesting that Jews refer to this as the least of all the commandments, the one I just read you. But what's interesting is, if you're obedient to the least of all the commandments, it'll be well with you and it'll prolong your days. That tells me that God cares about all the commandments. That tells me that if this is the least and the smallest one, that if we obey this, God's going to bless us, then we need to obey him in all of them, amen? And if we obey him in all of them, then he will bless us. And we will, we will know the, the, the blessings and the joy of the Lord. Kindness and gentleness in the small things often speaks of our ability to be kind in the weightier things. Cruelty to animals is sin. Do you know that? It is. Now, can we rise, kill, and eat? Yes. But should we be torturing an animal in our back? No. And you know what else? If someone's torturing an animal, that's, that's a hard issue, isn't it? That's not a good sign. And I, hey, most of you guys know I don't have a whole lot of pets or anything. I don't have dogs in my house. And, but you know what? I'm kind to them, and I don't want to see any of them harmed either. Amen? So even if you're not a big pet owner, you don't have a bunch of animals, we still should be kind to them. Why? Because God created them. And we should be kind to them. The Bible says a righteous man cares for his animal. And so we should. And that should be an example to the world around us. Now he's going to move on from birds to talking about a building code. Now you've got to remember, they're going into a lawless land. He's covering it all, all right? By the way, okay, birds, you see a nest, pick it up, don't take the eggs, okay, all right? Don't be dressing like women when you get in there. And by the way, have a building code. Here's the building code for you contractors. Verse 8. When you build a new house, then you shall put, make a parapet, parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt or bloodshed of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. The word for parapet there is a railing. And so he literally takes the time to tell them, when you build a house, put a railing around the patio on top so nobody falls off and dies. It's a great idea, right? God said it. It's a great idea. God commanded they put a railing. You know what I love? Our God cares about the people. You know what? Where, do people, where did the Jewish people hang out? On the roof. Why? It's hot in the desert. And so at night, where did they hang out? On the roof. Remember when, when Peter, when the, the, you know, it rolled down and rise, kill, and eat, Acts chapter 10? Where was he? He was out on the rooftop. And so he says, look, when you go out on the rooftop, make sure that there's safety for the people. Make sure you care about them. God is a God of detail. He does care that when we build stuff, we build it for him and we glorify him in it. And that everything we do, we would do with other people's safety and concern in mind. And we wouldn't say, hey, can't see it from my house. It's all good, right? Don't do that. You're building something for someone else. You build in a way that will glorify and honor God. And he's saying, you know what? There needs to be safety for those people. And you need to make sure you, you build in a way, again, that will not bring bloodshed upon your home. God cares about the details, and so should we. Godly character in the way we do our work. Every one of us should be the best employee our employer has. Amen? Or if we're working, we're doing it in a trade and we're building something for somebody else, we should do it as unto the Lord. That God would be glorified in it. Even if it's to our own harm. Even if it means I've got to work extra hours. Even if it means I make a little less money because I did it right. Do it right. That God might be glorified. That we may not blow our testimony. So not only compassion and tenderness and a kind and loving heart, but now he's going to move on to, be, say, to teach them to be separate from the world. Look at verse 9 through 12. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest you yield the seed which you have you yield of the seed which you have sown, and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. He said, Don't mix your seed together. Now, 
the Canaanites did that. And they believed that, you know, if you mix different seeds, it produced some kind of magical fruit. But he said, you only put in one kind of seed. Now, what is the seed a reference to in the Bible? Word of God. We don't mix God's word with anything. Amen? Because if you mix God's word with something else, you're going you're to have defiled fruit coming out. We only give them the word of God, the pure seed, the right thing. Amen? And if you mix it with anything else, it's going to defile it, and it's going to produce something that is ungodly. So the seed is the word. Don't mix the seed. Good seed of God's word alone. Verse 10. And you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. I can't even imagine trying that, but I guess people did it. In Canaan, they did it. Can you imagine an ox and a donkey? That would really work out well, wouldn't it? Big old ox and a donkey, right? Donkey would be getting dragged all over the place, right? Donkey be biting it. I could just see him biting the ankle of the ox. Don't do that. Don't put those two together. We're going to see this on Sunday, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And we'll, we'll look at that in greater detail on Sunday. But understand this, an ox was a clean animal, and a donkey was an unclean animal. And he said, don't put a clean animal and an unclean animal together. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. How can they walk together? Their, their gait is different. They have different temperaments. They're pulling in different directions. Christians are not to marry unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked, an ox and a donkey. So if the ox is the clean animal and the donkey is the unclean animal, if you marry an unbeliever, you're marrying a donkey. And if you got the King James Version, it's got another word there for donkey. Just a thought. I just love the Bible. There's humor in the word in here. Don't marry a donkey. Don't marry a dead guy. Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Verse 11. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. You know, they were, they were patches. They were not blends like we would have today. And if you put those two together, one of them would shrink in water. The other one wouldn't. So what would happen? It would pull itself apart. It would rip into pieces. And you don't take wool and linen and put them together. You don't take believers and unbelievers and put them together because we're not like-minded. And there will be a tearing away, a tearing apart when you have an unbeliever and a believer link together. Verse 12. You shall make tassels on the four corners of your clothing which which you cover yourself. This is back in Numbers when he told them to do this. It was a reminder to them to keep God's law. You knew exactly who the Israelites were, who the Jews were, because they walked around and they had tassels hanging from their garments. And he knew that was an Israelite. And what it did was, as they looked at those tassels every single day, it was a reminder every single day that they were to walk in the law of the Lord. Because as they walked, they drug those tassels everywhere they went. And everywhere they were going, it was a reminder, okay, I'm walking in the law of the Lord. I need to keep my eyes on the Lord. I need to be ever focused on Him. And that would cause a man to be separated from the world. They're going into Canaan, a land with lawlessness, a land filled with idol worship, a land filled with godlessness, a land filled with sexual immoralities. We're about to see. And he said, when you go in there, you remember that you're walking in the law of the Lord. You remember you're not to be joined together with unbelievers. You remember that your eyes need to be only on me. God cares about the details. He desires godly character and compassion and tenderness, a, a kind and loving heart, and being separated from the world, ministering to it but having no fellowship with it. Finally, personal purity, the sanctity of marriage. You know what? Sexual purity was a key to maintain the integrity of the family line. Remember that all the, the, the land went down from generation to generation. 
And if people were promiscuous and went outside of that and started having illegitimate children and things, it would mess up everything. And he says, you know what? You need to be faithful. God's got a plan for marriage. And as you've heard me say many times before, that sex is like fire. In the proper place, it's really good. Heat your house, right? In the fireplace, heat your house. You can cook by it. You take that fire and put it in the drapes, burns your house down, right? And the same is true that God created it. It's a good thing between one man and one woman together for a lifetime. Outside of that relationship, it's destructive. It brings harm. And as we're going to see, as we go through these verses fairly quickly, first let's look at a wife who was slandered by her husband, verses 13 through 21. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her, so he has a wife, he's been married a short amount of time, and he hates her now. Can I tell you that I see this in counseling all the time? But I see, you know what I see it most often? is when people got married when they were in heat, not when they were, they waited on God. Amen? Oh man, I've got to get married, I've got to get married. Oh, stop. Right? If this is the woman God has for you, be patient. Right? She's not going anywhere. You don't got to close the deal. It's okay. Right? But too often, I've got to close the deal. Someone else might come along and take her. Right? No. If this is the woman God has for you, you don't have to. God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and brought him his wife. He didn't give him a bow and arrow and say, go hunt her down. Amen? He didn't say, go down to the saddle rack. There's some women down there. Check it out. Have a few beers. You'll, you'll loosen up, right? And then bring one home. That's not what happened, amen? And we've got it all messed up. That's not God's plan. You trust in the Lord. You rest in the Lord and wait for him to bring you your wife, amen? No striving. No fighting. So he's married for a time and he doesn't like her anymore. And he charges her with a shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Now we know that this is a false accusation in this case because it says he detests her. He's like, okay, I don't like her. I've got to find a way out of this. I'll accuse her of not having been a virgin when I married her. Again, I see this a lot. And I can honestly say this. I have yet to see it in anybody who's gone through pre-marriage counseling, has truly waited upon the Lord, has been married you know, the right way. But I see it all the time when people run off to Reno and get married and then come back and, and then three weeks later, what did I do, what did I do? I've got to get out of this now. Whoops, I made a mistake. I married a donkey, right? Whoops, right? Too late. You're married, okay? But they want to get out of it. They want to find a reason. And this is this guy right here. So he says, well, uh, you know what? She lied to me. Because in those days, when you got married, you were supposed to be a virgin, period. And if you weren't, you couldn't get married. Nobody wanted you. You were defiled. You were ruined. Can you imagine if that was true today? Now, so here in this case, he's accusing her of something. Now look at verse, and this is going to be graphic, but... The Bible is sometimes. Then the father and mother of the young woman shall bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders at the city gate. Bring out the evidence? What evidence do you have to prove that a woman's a virgin when she got married? Well, and again, here it is. A Jewish woman, when they first were intimate in marriage, they had a special cloth that they were on their first night together. And then that cloth because there would be blood that would be on it from that first time if she was a virgin, was then delivered to the parents. And they kept it to prove that she was a virgin when she got married for this very thing. Do you know there's still cultures in the world today that the day after their children are married that they hang that sheet out of their window to prove that their daughter was a virgin? Can you imagine the pressure there would be to make sure that people would be down buying cow's blood and stuff, you know what I mean? But the point is that this was proof this was proof. And so this guy would come and say, oh man, when I married her, she lied. She'd been with other men. She might even be pregnant. I have no way of knowing. 
I, I'm, I want to get rid of her. Take her away from me. Well, look at verse 16 and 17. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter this man as a wife, and he detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. And yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity, and they shall lay and spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And when they will look and see, indeed, that this is proof that she was a virgin, then the elders of the city shall take the man and punish him. So they beat him. So you said your wife, you said bad stuff about your wife, beating. I think there's some women today that would kind of like that to be back in fashion, right? My husband was talking bad about me, beat him. Take him to the elders of the church. Okay, Joe, Bill, all right, get the elders together. He was talking trash about me, and I have proof that he's lying. Okay, whoop on him, right? Well, that's what happened. And so this would, you know, make a guy think twice before he'd lie about his wife, right? Make a guy think twice before he'd make false accusations, as we should today, verse 19. And they shall take, they shall find him 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman. 100 shekels doesn't sound like a lot. 10 years wages. Find him 10 years wages and give it to, his dad, give it to her dad. Now, first of all, Praise God I don't live in these times because if somebody made this accusation about my daughter, I wouldn't need any shekels because he would never make it to the elders. Amen? What did you say about my daughter? Oh, you're done, right? But instead, in this case, they bring him to the elders. They beat him. I'd be like, can I have, a, let me have a couple anyway, right? Talking about my daughter, I don't think so, right? Ever tried picking up your teeth with a broken arm? No. But in this case... They bring him out to the elders, and he gets beaten, and now he comes up, he's all battered. Okay, 10 years wages. Give it to her dad. Oh. And then look what it says next. And it says, you shall take, the, you shall take from 100 shekels of silver, give them to the father of the young woman, because he brought a bad name on the virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife, and he cannot divorce her for all his days. So give 10 years wages to her dad, and you're going to get beat up, and now she's your wife for the rest of your life, and don't even ever talk about divorcing her again. You're in. Oh. Heavy-duty stuff, amen? False slander punished the man and protected the woman, and praise God for that. Now look at this. But what if the accusations were true? Because no doubt there were times when the woman had done this, right? She'd been with another man. How does God feel about premarital sex? Let's take a look at verse 21 and 22. But if the thing is true and evidence of her virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death. What does God think about premarital sex? Not too much. Now, oh, but we live in, man, it's 2005, man. Things have changed, right? We've got to catch up with the culture. I mean, back then it was more archaic, and you know, now today we have free love. We also have AIDS and HIV and sexually transmitted diseases and, and, and unwanted pregnancies and abortion at a high rate and adultery and marriages falling apart. How is that working out for us? I remember when AIDS first became an epidemic and I heard this guy on the radio saying, well, you know, we've got to have our free loves. So we've got we to gotta find a cure for AIDS. Well, I got one for you. Be faithful to your wife and don't do IV drugs. And guess what? You're not going to get AIDS more than likely. Amen. 95% of the time, that's where it comes from. Now, there certainly are babies that get it and others, and that's hor- horrific. But the point is that if we live godly, do I worry about getting AIDS? Can I tell you? No. I've never had an HIV test, and I'm never going to have one. Why? Because I love my wife. I'm being faithful to her, and I'm not sticking any needles in my arm. Amen? And so the point is live godly lives, and we won't have to worry about the consequences. But if we live ungodly lives, the consequences are coming. And he says here, 
premarital sex, the result was stoning. Can you imagine if that were the case today? As I heard uh, J. Vernon McGee say, you couldn't get to work driving, all the, driving around all the mounds of boulders in the street. And it says there, she shall be stoned to death with stones because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Why did they stone her to death? They wanted to put adultery or fornication to a stop. They didn't want to let it continue to run rampant. Sin unchecked is sin that will spread. And he said, you know what? You got to kill, they got to die. And it's got to be an example to everyone here. They would kill them. They would put them in a planter box and they would, kill, they would stone them to death. And then they would plant a tree in there. And that tree would grow, and everybody walked by that tree knew what that tree was for. Can you imagine the poor father coming out of his house every day and seeing that in front of his house? Grip his heart. Grieve him. And you know what? My daughter thinks I'm overprotective. Can you imagine what these dads must have been like? You no, know, you're not going outside. What are you talking about? No, you're not talking. No, you're not going anywhere without five people with you, right? You're not going anywhere. Then this is not happening. You're not getting stoned. Amen? I'm going to keep you from getting stoned, right? And I'm going to watch over you, and I'm going to protect you. And when, I, when you get married, I'm taking my hand out of, out of your hand, your hand out of my hand, and giving it to him. But up until this point, I've been in charge of you. Should be just as valued today, virginity amongst men, young men and women. Many women are being treated shabbily by men because they, they contributed to the problem by allowing themselves, they're giving something away that's so valuable. I've asked women before, they'll say, oh my, you know, we've been married for five years and all my husband cares about is he wants to sleep with me and that's it. Treats me like garbage, treats me like a possession. And I'll look at him and say, when did, you let, when did you give him permission to use you? What are you talking about? I never gave him permission to use me. Did you sleep with him before you were married? Well, yeah. Well, there it is. If you didn't make him wait, then what, is, what, what kind of love does he have for you if he dishonors you in that way? And by the way, guys, if you're doing that, you need to stop because you're dishonoring her. You're not married to her. She's your sister until she's your wife, so treat her that way. Amen? Keep your hands to yourself. And if any of you come within 10 feet of my daughter, you better keep your hands to yourself. Amen? Amen? That was weak, all right? (laughs) If a guy pressures you, girls, he doesn't love you. If he loves you and honors you and respects you, he'll say, you know what? I want our wedding night to be special. And I'm going to wait because I love you, because I care about you, and I don't want to take anything from you. I want it to be in God's timing. And you know what? When you give in to those pressures of that guy, you're giving away what belongs to your husband. And if that man is your husband, even if you marry him, you've given him permission to use you. I don't, you know what? It just breaks my heart. I was a youth pastor for a long time. And there's this new thing now. You know, promiscuity is getting worse. And you know, I still pay attention to youth stuff because I just love teenagers and always have. And there's this new thing called friends with benefits. You ever heard of this? And it means that I have friendships and we sleep together and we, we, we have sexual favorites, but we're just not even boyfriend and girlfriend. We just satisfy each other and we, I have ten of them and it's all good. And these are high schoolers. I saw this on TV. It's, it's tragic. It just breaks my heart when I see it happen. And you know what? Love that woman enough to value her enough to to do God's will. And you know what? If you can't honor her that way, how in the world are you going to honor her after you're married? A lot of people, oh, if we get married, they'll fix it. No, no. Start honoring her now. Fix it today. Start treating your wife and esteeming her in a great way. That's what the Lord would have you to do. A little behind. Let's just move on here. Look what it says, verse 22. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. So what does God think about adultery? Adultery. 
He says kill them both. Why? To keep adultery from spreading. It will spread if it's not dealt with harshly. We've seen that today. Adultery is a sin against God. It destroys families. It destroys homes. Look what it says here. The man that lay with the woman and the woman... So you shall put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, she's engaged, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you bring them both out of the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. Again, even though she's betrothed, she's called his wife, because in those days, engagement was being married without the physical contact. They built a relationship first before the physical contact came in. That's a great thing to learn, amen? Too often people go out and get lit and start a physical relationship and then try to build a friendship afterward and it doesn't usually work out very well. Instead, we need to build relationships first. Now, it's interesting. What do we see the penalty for adultery? Stoning. And what happened when they brought to Jesus the woman caught in adultery? They were going to? stone her. And what did Jesus do? He wrote in the ground, and I believe, we don't know for sure, but I believe he wrote down the names of the men with the rocks in their hands, and then a name of maybe a woman they had slept with that they weren't married to, or a sin that they had committed. And when they saw what was written, they went, oh, and he said, he was without sin, cast the first stone. They all dropped the rocks and went home. Now what does this tell us? The, the penalty for adultery is death, but Jesus said, go and sin no more. What's that a picture of? Grace. That's God's grace. We're deserving of death, and Jesus paid the price for us. Amen? The wages of sin is death, and he took it upon himself that we might be delivered. Praise God for his grace. Verse 25. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is the young woman there. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death, for just as a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. But he found her in the country, countryside, and he betrothed the young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. This is rape. And in the case of rape, what happens? The man was put to death. The woman was obviously not. The woman has done nothing wrong. Now, why was the woman convicted previously in the city? Because she didn't cry out. If she doesn't cry out, that means she's consenting. This woman cried out. She's out in the middle of nowhere. No one can hear her. So it's important that we always be in a place where people could hear us cry out. Amen? So guys and girls, don't, don't be going away alone together somewhere where you might fall into trouble. I want to encourage you, while you're courting to marriage, you know, do things as a group. Don't be alone. Make the first time you're alone on your wedding night. You won't have problems. You want to talk? Go to Denny's and talk. Amen? Don't go sit on a dark road in your car. That's, you know, that's gasoline and a fire in the same room. Explosions will happen. Amen? And so the woman caught in adultery, or the woman is forgiven, and praise God, because God is a God of love and grace and mercy for those who have been harmed. Lastly, verse 28 and 29, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, she's not engaged, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out. The word seizes doesn't mean forceful, it means he entices her, and she buys it. Come on, oh come on, you know I love you, you know I care about you. Oh, come on, liar. Guys, right? I tell my daughter that. They're all liars, all of them. <laughs> all liars. Hairy leg perverts, every one of them. Keep them away from my daughter, you know? 
Then look what it says here. He lies with her and they are found out. Look what happens. Then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver, five years wages, and she shall be his wife. Hello. So if you sleep with a woman, you just married her. That's what it says. You're married. Oh, you lay, Oh, you did. Okay, you're married. Give five years wages to her dad and now you spend the rest of your life with her. Do you think singles Mars might be a little different? Bunch of justice of the pieces waiting outside. <laughs> Imagine all the hotels, right, waiting outside. Oh, okay, come on over. You don't even have to say I do. It's just going to happen. Here it is. You're married. You leave, she gets half your stuff, right? You might start thinking a little different about these physical relationships. Do you know I've served with pastors that actually believe, they still believe this is true today. In the sense that if you lie with a woman, you're married to her. In God's eyes. You've, already, you've given yourself to her. The two of you have become one. And now you're married to her. And now it's just a formality. Marriage doesn't necessarily require a tux and a dress. And a caterer. And a limo. But that consummation is two becoming one. That's what the Bible says, right? And that's why it's so harmful when you, with a bunch of different people, you're giving a piece of yourself away to a bunch of different people. I used to tell the youth group. It's like you've got a bag of cookies, and every person you're with, you're giving some away. When you get married, all you've got left is crumbs because you've given it all away. And God says, no, wait. It's too valuable. Don't take it lightly. God never wanted us to. And it says there, because he has humbled her, he shall not be permitted to, to divorce her all of his days. That's it. You lie with her, she's your wife for the rest of your life. Last verse. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor uncover his father's bed. This is speaking of, of incest in the case of marrying your stepmom. 1 Corinthians 5, those of you who are here, that's exactly what he had done. Remember what happened? He was judged by the people. He was cast out and delivered for the destruction of his flesh. And I believe that he did was restored and he did come back. So, though they were not blood-related, it was still considered incest. So in conclusion, does God care about the details? Yes, he does. That we exhibit godly character in every aspect of life. That we have compassion and tenderness toward our brother, toward animals, toward the environment, toward everything. We be kind and loving, not those who are scourge of the earth. That we be separated from the world, in the world but not of it. And that we, have, that we practice personal purity in our lives. And that we respect the sanctity of marriage. Amen? One man, one woman for a lifetime. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, how it applies to every life in here today. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that when we committed some of the sins in this chapter, we weren't dragged out in stone. But Lord, you said to us, like you said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray if there's anybody here, Lord, caught up in any of these, these areas of sin, that, Father, there'd be a time of repentance even tonight and restoration, and getting their eyes back on you. Father, I pray we'd have that tenderness and that kindness, that we look at the world around us and seek to minister to people and to love people. We look for divine appointments. Lord, I pray also that we'd be separated from the world, that we'd be in it and ministering to it, but not being influenced by it. And then, Lord, for the sanctity of our marriages, I pray for every marriage represented in this room tonight. And for those who are single and we've married one day, Father, may we honor you in our homes. May we glorify you in our marriages. May we keep ourselves pure and only for that one that you bring for us to spend the rest of our life with. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. everybody stand up. Let's close in worship song.
Who's like him? Who's like him? Like